We want to thank you, Jesus, because there is no other name upon this name. That, Lord, that when you are with us, who can be against us? Because you are our light and our salvation. Whom should we fear? The Lord is the stronghold of our lives. Of whom should we be afraid? So we want to thank you for that, Jesus. We want to thank you that you are the stronghold of our lives. Thank you now, Jesus. Yes, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, I just want to go straight into um, an experience I had on Tuesday night. Um, and these just, you got, thank God you've got no control over it. But all you do is you position yourselves. But it started off as a dream, then it went into a night vision. And uh, the Lord came to me in this, and I'll give you the, 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 the sort of like, uh, yeah, the outline of it. But basically, um, I was in an auditorium, but it was outdoors, and there were loads and loads of people there. It was really crowded, and it was Christian, and I saw a few people from this place and bushfire there, none of you, but there were a few people from here, and, and they were in the crowd, and, and the Lord came to me, and he said, I want you to preach me. And I said, oh, Lord, I'd, I'd love to do that. So I got up, and I started shouting and just preaching about Jesus, and uh, and I noticed on the table there was like, um, um, like a, a couple of speakers and all this paraphernalia. And there was sound coming through it. And I said to somebody, look, I've got no control over that. It's not my phone. Can you switch this off? The sound is, I can't preach the message of Jesus with the sound going on. So somebody came over and switched it off. And as I started preaching again, people were talking and, and they were just into their own thing. And then another speaker would come out and give a bit of sound. Sound. And I said, Lord, I want to preach you. And then he came to me. And he stood by me. And he, and he just, and then I was, I was sort of like taken out of my body and I could just watch what was going on below. And he said, they're too distracted with the world and the sounds of this world. Then they don't want to be in love with me. And he said it not with a pity, but he said it with force. They don't want me. They don't want me. He says, but you do. And I said, Lord, I want to preach you, and I want to preach you only. He says, go and do it. Go and do it. And then he sat down with me, and he started telling me all different things. And can I remember any of it? Not one. But Job 30, 33, verse 15 says that he seals in us his word. He comes to us in dreams and visions of the night to seal in his word. And this is what I want to preach. I want to preach Jesus. I'm going to preach Jesus, because we don't know him. What does it say in the Bible? Lord, show me your ways, so I may know you. May know you. And the church knows very little about Jesus. Very little. So I don't know how long this is going to go on for, but I can't preach anything else from that experience apart from Jesus. You see, what does he look like? The Bible tells us. The Bible's very clear what he looked like. There was no comeliness to him. There was nothing attractive about him. He was an ugly guy. Because then people wouldn't be attracted because he's a good-looking bloke. But it just seems that every worship, they, all, they, they pull out of the churches, all the good-looking people. Where are your ugly lot up there, like me? You know, let's, let's get the fat and, yeah, the ugly up there. I'm talking about myself. You, you're all beautiful. You're all works in progress, especially, you know. But, you know, we don't know what he said. 
What did Jesus say? You know, we, we read our Bibles and we sometimes in our Bibles have his words and read, but we pay very little attention to what he said. Very little attention. You know, where was he born? Well, we know that he was born in Bethlehem. The Bible tells us that. And I'm going to come into that. But we, but we don't know his culture. We don't know what it was like in his day because we just take it on face value. We, we in the Western world just take everything on face value as if we weigh it up with our Western mindset. But Jesus was a Jew. He lived and was brought up in Israel. Israel is God's people. The nation of Israel is where God said, I'm going to send my son. So this replacement theology that we've got absolutely permeating in the churches is a doctrine of demons. It is. Because God has not given up on his people. But then, you know, was he really a carpenter? Did he really work with his hands? We just think that he did because his his dad was a carpenter. You know, but, but was he? You know, what did he teach? Could you tell me what the, uh, in, in Matthew uh, 5, the, 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 the Sermon on the Mount, what we call the Beatitudes, can you tell me what that was about? When was the last time you heard a sermon on that? Blessed are the meek, shall they shall inherit the earth. But we haven't heard this because we in the Western have got so encapsulated, and it's not a bad thing, we've got encapsulated and sidetracked by the power of the name. Yes, he is all-powerful. But we need to know what he said and what he taught his disciples. Why did he come? Why did he come? Did he have brothers and sisters? Well, we, do, we know that, you know, what happened to Joseph? You know, very little. Well, what about the hidden years? The hidden years when, when he was taken out, as, you know, and went to Egypt and then came back. And, and then he was hidden. And we see him arriving at the age of 12 in the synagogue. You know, but what happened in those hidden years? We don't know, you know... Um, where did he come from? Well, we know that he came from heaven. Where, why did he come? It wasn't just for salvation. That was just one of the products. He came, as, as James says, and sorry, 1 John, it says that he came to defeat the works of the enemy, which is to bring us as a ransom by his blood, to bring us out, to be separated from the sounds of this world. But we're more... De- We're more distracted by what's going on in here, what's going on on Facebook, what's going on on the internet. And you you feel like you're missing out. No, I want to be so in love with him, but I want to know him. I really want to know him. So what are the four Gospels about? Well, they're four, it's like, as I keep saying, they're four different cameras, all on the same person of Jesus, but from four different angles. And therefore, we can't just read one without, I mean, I love the book of John. I love John because that encapsulates me, what Jesus was all about. And what was it all about? It's for us to look like him. It's us to be like him. It's us to love him with all of our hearts. And to love the Lord your God with all your mind and with all your strength and with everything about you. It's to love him. But if we, how can we love someone if we don't know him? And the story that I'm going to take you through is his life. His life. But what was the, have you ever considered that uh, how many times the name of Jesus is mentioned in just the New Testament? Do you know many times? I'll tell you. This is from the New King James Version, by the way. It might be different from the NIV or a different version of the Bible. But in my my New King James Version, it's 1,063 times in the New Testament. 
That's incredible because it's about a person. Absolutely incredible. You know, and, and people, Christians, to say, oh, the Old Testament, that's all gone. No. The disciples preached from the New Testament, uh, from the Old Testament. You know, there wasn't anything that from the Old Testament they didn't preach. But there are major prophecies. See, though, the New, the New Testament writers cited so many messianic prophecies from the Old Testament. Do you know how many? Over, from the Old Testament, over 130 prophecies about Jesus from the Old Testament. 130. It's incredible. You know, and then the Old Testament contains something like over 300 prophecies and passages describing who he was and what he would do. And out of these over 300 prophetic prophecies about Jesus, there are 60 prophecies about Jesus, just in the New Testament, that we call the major prophecies. So you look at Isaiah 53 as a major prophecy. Psalm 22 is a major prophecy. You know, and there are so... I mean, when I looked at it, I had to leave. It wasn't what I was going to put in this talk. It's what I had to leave out. Because doesn't the book... Doesn't uh, Peter say, you know, if we were to write everything about Jesus, we'd be still here writing it. They couldn't contain in one book the life of Jesus. So I think he's pretty important, don't you? But this is what we've got to take out to this church out to these people that don't know him, that are unchurched, is the message of the good news. What's the good news? It's the kingdom of God in you. It's him, Jesus. And this is what we have got to do. Listen to this passage. Because this is very unlikely to be fulfilled just by one person, but it was. 1 John uh, 4, verses 14, it says, And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Saviour of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in them, in him, and he in God. For we have known and believed that the love that God has for us, God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God, and God is in him. So we have a number of things here. He came as a savior. Why? Because he wants to put God in you and me. He wants to put God in you and me to be perfect in this world. He wants to show us that we are the object of his love. We are the object of God's love through his son. How much he loves us that he sent his one and only into this world. This world is tough. Wouldn't you agree? One of the other things is it was to show God's love for us. For God so loved you that he sent his one and only son. We know that passage really well. But here's another thing is, he wants to have this unity. He wants to have this unity of who? Of him in us. It's this unity of, of him in us to become love to this world that doesn't know. It's broken. This world is broken. We can sing, we can dance, we can do all the stuff, but we've got to know him and we've got to show the world him because when I look in the mirror, I want to see Jesus in me because he is love and we're to look like him. In 1 John 4, 17 and 21, it says, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. 
So as Jesus walked this world, it is possible for us to walk like him. That's incredible. But all I'm saying is, Lord, come and do it. Come and burn out whatever chaff is in me. Come and burn it out because I want to look like you, Jesus. I want to do what you said I can do. I want to be who you said I can be. I want to fulfill my destiny. That when I stand before you, I'm going to have good and faithful bride in whom I'm well pleased to marry. That's what I want. That's what I want. If anyone says, I love God and he hates his brother, he is a liar. For he does not love his brother whom he has seen. How can he love God who he has not seen? And this command we have from him, that he who loves God must also love his brother. I can't tell you how many times in the, Old Testament, in the New Testament the word love or loves come up. It's, it's, it's just like the name of Jesus. It's just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. Because I think God wanted to get a message across to us, is that we must become love. But why are we so angry with each other? Why can't we look at each other and just, I mean, we do it in this place, but, you know, to prefer one another, to love one another, to spur one another on to love and good deeds, to be spurring one another on to say, come on, we can look like him and become love. So when we go on these streets, they're not going to see Andy, they're not going to see Heidi, they're going to see Jesus in us. And I'm telling you, the power of God will just come upon you in all of its power when we start preaching the name of Jesus and love and become like him. Who's perfected in us? Who's perfected in us? I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2.20, that should be imprinted on everybody's heart because this is what it's about. It's about becoming like Jesus because he died for me because he loved me first. So I want to I want to I want to go on a journey, don't you? I'm just going to do it for myself then. I'm going to go on a journey because I want to know about Jesus. And I'm telling you there are going to be shocking revelation and shocking revelation about Jesus. Because I'm in love with him. Don't you want to be in love with him? Do you know how hard that is? We've got to switch off the outside sounds. And we've got to get into a place where he's right by us. And we've just got to love on him. That's the quickest way into the spirit realm. The quickest shortcut that you can ever have is to switch the distractions of this world and just be on him. You know, I, I was driving back from my mum's in Devon just early in the week and I just switched off the radio, I switched off everything. And I must have seemed like a lunatic banshee coming up that M1 or the M5 because I just got into a prayer where it was just me and him. And I said, Jesus, I want you to sit with me. You know, and I made a, a space for him. You know, so I took my bags and I put them in the back so he could sit on any seat. And I just wanted to tell him all the way for about an hour how much I loved him. How much I loved him. How much I loved him. And eventually, this, this thing came right in me. And I'm looking across, oh, I wonder if anybody's noticing. You know, and I was really going for it. But this, you know, I, I, want, I want that time with him. Because I knew the busyness of life, you don't get that time, but you've got to make time. But we must... What was the greatest commandment? You know, when, when the Pharisees came to Jesus and said, what's the greatest commandment? They wanted to catch him out. And you know, that, that in Matthew 22, verse 37, it says, And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. Let me stop you. 
If that's the first and the greatest commandment, what's the greatest gift? Love. It's got to be. It's got to be. Yes, there's gifts of the Spirit, but the greatest gift that we can ever have is to love him with everything that we've got. That's what I want. If I never see a healing again, and I hope I do, I pray I do, I will, but, you know, if I never, I want to become known in heaven as a man after God's own heart. Just like David. Don't you want that? Don't you say, oh, oh, look at this crown, he's the one that loved. Because when you stand before God, we just read it, in the day of judgment, do you know what he's going to ask you? Did you look, become like my son? Did you become love? So why have we got so much bitterness? Why have we got so much unforgiveness? We've got no, no right to have an unforgiveness in us. You know, and, and, and let me tell you something. Any pro-choice, it's not your body. It's not your body. It can never be our bodies. Lord, this is your body in whom I give to you. I want to I be sacrificial on an altar before the Lord. Lord, this isn't my life. I give it to you. This isn't my body. I give it to you. This is not my wife. She's a gift to me, but I give it to you. My child, he's a gift from you, but I give him to you. I want Joshua not to just grow up to be Andy's you know, son. I want him to be known as a man who loves God's heart. And then it says, and the second is like it, that you shall love your neighbor. Look at each other. Say it. I love you. I love you. I love you. And if you don't love them, then go into a closet and then just say, Lord, pour out your love in me so I can love them. That's what it's about. I love you. I can say it. I love you. Why? Because I pray for you. You know, when I heard about Moira, you know, and, and I, so I just heard about it, and Heidi sent me a text that, that Gordon was not very well, and so I just got in my bedroom, you know, not even my bedroom, you know. It was in a... In a I, was in, I was in my stepfather's bedroom, and that was, that was that's, that's tough. That was really tough, guys, to go into a room that, you know... Yeah, anyway. So I got on my knees, and I just prayed for Moira and Gordon, and just said, Lord, you know, why? I'm not driven out to get a tick point... And then I get, come back and I have a card waiting for me from, from Maureen and Stevens. Just, just, you know, putting a little bit, yeah, we're caring for you, we're praying for you. You know, and it's good to know that, isn't it? Because we cover each other's backs. We cover each other and spur one another. He says, you shall love your neighbours yourself. On these two commandments you can hang all the law of the prophets. If we get these two things right, it's to become love. And love him with everything. Everything else will come around. Everything else will, will just come. He gave up his heavenly throne to do so much more than become a church. He gave up his heavenly throne for him to realize, for us to realize who we have in us. Isn't that incredible? You know, 1 Corinthians 5 17. You know, it just says, you know, I'm a new creation. I am a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, in Christ, they are a new creation. Are you in Christ? Are you in him? Because then he should be in you. He should be in us. We sh- we're calling out for revival, yes. But God wants a people full of love for him first. And love for one another. So that when you pray for somebody... I was at the rugby reunion just a few weeks ago. And I saw one of these guys I haven't seen for 30 years in so much pain. So much pain. 
I burst out crying in front of all these, what's the matter with you? I don't know. You know, I just burst out crying because I could feel his pain. And I said, Chris, let me pray for your back. Let me pray for you. I can't watch this. Your back's crumbling and, you know, I want to pray for you. So, you know, I prayed for him in the middle of the rugby club. And they stated, oh, look, I remember when you became a Christian. There you were in the changing room and you started reading this Bible. And we looked at it and there weren't any pictures, so I threw it out the window. And, you know, and that's the way it was. But, you know, you have to make a stand. And, you know, I, I was, these guys got it. You know, but isn't it great 30 years later I've gone further? I'm still there. Isn't it? That's what, you know, they said, oh, it's still the same Andy that I knew but there's something different about you. And I said, yes, it's because I'm in love with Jesus. And I shared the gospel with them. Because I might be the only thing they might see that ever represents the gospel. And there are people out there, young people, young, old, that don't know Jesus. And it's our responsibility to become that word. The word became flesh. In 1 Peter 1, verse 20, it says, He indeed was ordained from before the foundations of the world was manifest in these last times for you and for me. That's an incredible scripture. That before the world was ever formed or thought about, he manifested himself for us in these times. And we're going to need him. We're going to need Jesus more than any time. The word became flesh in, one, in John 1.14. It says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory and the glory of the only begotten of the Son, full of grace and truth. So he isn't a partial truth, he's the fullness of truth. He isn't partial grace, he's full grace. And yet look what the church is making that, with a slippery slope of grace. You can do whatever, you can live your life, however you want. It's all being done at the cross. That's another doctrine of demons. No, I want to look like him. I don't want to be a part of this world. I don't want to be saying I'm a Christian and sleeping with so-and-so or whatever. I want to be a person that Jesus is seen in. Nothing more. So we must humble ourselves and we must just say, Lord, I want to just go for you. I've got loads of scriptures. Let, it says in Philippians 2, verse 5 to 11, it says, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man and he humbled himself. This is Jesus humbling himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above all names. That the name of Jesus that every knee will bow and of these things in heaven and of these things of earth and of these things under the earth and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And that's our job is to bring glory to Jesus. We must humble ourselves. We must bring glory to him and to his name only because one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess whether they like it or not that he is God. He's above all things. 1 John 2, verse 3 to 6. Now by this that we know him. If we, listen, it's, it's if we keep his commandments. If we keep his commandments. He also says, I know him. And does not keep his commandments is a lie and the truth is not in him. So if we're not following the ways of Jesus, we're liars. 
And guess where liars go to? Guess, if we're not following what, it says, if you love me, you'll obey me. I love you, Jesus, and I fall short all the time. But he's not interested if we fall short, it's how we pick ourselves up and keep going. Yes, Lord, I hate doing that, Lord. I hate it. Why do I do that? But Lord, thank you that you died for me, to forgive me from all of this. And if I, conf- if I confess my sin, then you are faithful and just and will forgive my sin and purify me from all unrighteousness. You're seeing a man that became righteous who was the most unrighteous through the blood of Jesus. Romans 8, I love this. Because guess what, folks? We belong to a kingdom. We belong not to the UK. We belong to another kingdom. And that's the kingdom that we must know. And who's the king of the kingdom? Jesus. He is the king. He's the king. And we've got to know the king. Because if we don't know the king, we have no idea what the kingdom's about. And we do not preach that. We preach about getting bums in seats. No, we've got to preach the king of kings. With a kingdom that we will rule and reign with him. And this is what God is preparing you for in this time, is to know the King of Kings. So that when you go on the streets, wherever you go, you'll go under the the love of Jesus, will just be around you and in you, that you'll set many free from whatever it is, because you're driven out of one thing, the kingdom. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Romans 8 Verse 14, for as many are led by the Spirit of God, those are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage, again, to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption. He's adopted you. You, You're a child of God. And I want to be led by you, Holy Spirit. I want to be so led by you. That we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if the children, then heirs, and heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. We're heirs. We're going to be equal with Jesus. That's what the Bible says. We're joint heirs with Christ. You're a joint heir. But if you're an heir, what does that mean? You're going to inherit something. What are you going to inherit? The kingdom. Isn't that exciting? That we are joint heirs? That we're going to... We're going to I've got a document in heaven that says I'm a joint heir with Christ. I'm going to inherit a kingdom. Lord, show me the king. Because I want to rule and reign with him. That's what the Bible says. This is what you've been prepared for. So I'm going to, I don't care how long it takes me. I'm going, to go, I'm going to go through this until the Lord tells me to stop. But I'm going to preach Jesus. And I want us to go on a journey to know Jesus. So that when you tell others, you'll tell others out of a knowledge not just an epinos- uh, not out of a gnosis knowledge, a knowledge of just reading and writing, but out of the epinosis of the Spirit, because I want to be led by you, Holy Spirit. Reveal yourself, Jesus. Come and teach me about yourself. But then we, don't, we cut out this part at the end of the verse of uh, Romans 8, 17. If indeed we suffer with them, that we may also be glorified together. We're guaranteed suffering, folks. It's not fun. I said to the Lord, Lord, this is hard here. This, this, we're living in one of the hardest, toughest times of church age history. This is the toughest age. But you know what? You, know, you can choose which church you're going to be in. Are you going to be in the Smyrna church? You've heard me preach on that. The Pergamos church? 
oh my word, the, the, the Smyrna church. Smyrna was where they had oil that would be poured onto bodies when they died. This, you know, and, that's, and this town was known for this oil. But they went through 10 years of hell, persecution, where not very many of them came out of it. Tell that to the Christians in the Middle East now. 50,000 Christians 10 years ago. There's less than 2,000 Christians now in the whole of the Middle East. But there's revival. There's revival happening in Iran. There's revival in Syria. There's revival in the camps. Because they've been through persecution. Look at Matthew 1. Because, you know, the Bible's, Bible's incredible. Because, you know, he said that he was, an, he was descendant from the King David. So look at Matthew 1. And he got the whole genealogy. Why? Because they want to prove that Jesus came from that royal priesthood of David and the son of Jesse and, and, and all the rest of it. In, the, in Isaiah 11, verse 1, it says this. I mean, this is in the Old Testament. This is in the New Testament, but it backs up Matthew 1. This is what Matthew was writing about. He was writing out of this revelation of Isaiah 11, verse 1. It says, There shall come forth a rob from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of all of his roots, which is us. It's Jesus coming out of Jesse, that whole lineage. And, and when Matthew wrote about this, he was writing to back up this genealogy. Jesus is from this root of Jesse. And we know that King David came from it. Isaiah 23, verse 5, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise a David, a branch to David, a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. This is in Jeremiah speaking about Jesus coming from David. It's incredible. Born in Bethlehem. Well, Micah 5 verse 2 writes this. You know, and you've got to realize there were two Bethlehems. There were two. Beth, did you know that? Two Bethlehems. Not one, but two. So the Bible, it says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathath. Ephrathath. I don't know how to pronounce that. But he's even naming the actual area that this Bethlehem was in. Because there was another Bethlehem. This is Micah. Hundreds of years before Jesus was born. It's Micah saying, Though you are little amongst the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. And we see the fulfillment of that in Matthew 2, verse 26, and Mark and Luke. And then we have the virgin mother, Isaiah 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. That's Isaiah 7, 600 years before Jesus is born. It was fulfilled in, in Luke 1, verse 22, uh, 26, and Matthew 1, verse 20. And the biblical sacrifice point prophetically to Jesus' sacrifice. Did you realize that? In the Old Testament, Hebrews 9, verse 11 and 12 says that from the New Testament. It says, but Christ came as a high, as a high priest of the good things to come with the great and more perfect tabernacle that has not been made with hands, that is not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once and for all, having obtained all eternal redemption. And later on in Matthew, in Hebrews 10, verse 11, and every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifice. 
which can never take away sin. But this man, after he has offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right of God, right hand of God. And I, I, I had to stop, you know, because I could go into hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, just from the Old Testament, prophecies of Jesus. The most famous one, you know, why we don't tell Jewish people, oh, have you read Psalm 22? Have you read Psalm 22? Have you read, do you know what Psalm 22 says? Have you read it? Psalm 22 perfectly describes the crucifixion. Perfectly. It says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I, and I, and I just, I couldn't write out, I couldn't read out, I don't want to read out the whole of the Psalm 22. But my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's what Jesus said on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in verse 12 it says, Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashem have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potter shed. And my tongue clings to my jaws. And you have brought me to the dust of death. For the dogs have surrounded me. A congregation of wicked have enclosed me. The congregation of wicked is, is talking about the two thieves on the cross. Perfectly describing that these were the, the, the congregation of the wicked. They pierce my hands and my feet. They count all of my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my, my garments among them and my clothing. They cast lots. It's incredible. Absolutely incredible. Isaiah 53, we know it. You know, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But it's by his blood, you know, it's by the laying open of his back that we're healed. He took all of our suffering. He took all of our sickness. He took all of our sorrow. Perfectly in Isaiah 53. It's been fulfilled. His bones weren't broken. Psalm 34, verse 20. He guards all his bones. Not one of them was broken. It's been fulfilled. Not one of his bones. We see that in John 19, verse 32. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and then of the other who was crucified with them. But when they came to Jesus, they saw he was already dead and they did not break his legs. And then John 19, verse 36. For these things were done that the scriptures should be fulfilled, that not one of his bones shall be broken. And again, another scripture says, they shall look upon him whom they have pierced. What about the, the 30 pieces of silver that he was given up for and, and, the, and the betrayal of a friend? It says it in the Old Testament. Psalm 41, verse 9. Even my own familiar friend in whom I trust, who ate of my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. Zechariah 11, verse 12. Then he said to them, If it is agreeable to you, Give me my wages, and if not, refrain. So they weighed out my wages, 30 pieces of silver. It's one prophecy on another after another after another about one person. They've all been fulfilled. In fact, there are no fewer than 29 prophecies that were fulfilled in the last 24 hours of his life. 29 prophecies from the Old Testament fulfilled in his last 24 hours. Absolutely incredible. He is the Good Shepherd. John 10, 11. Where do we see that? The Lord is my shepherd. Psalm 23. Jesus says, I am the light of this world in John 8, verse 12. And it says in Isaiah 60, 19, the sun shall no longer be your light by day, nor the brightness shall the moon give out your light to you. 
but the Lord will be to you an everlasting light. So Jesus is just quoting out of the Old Testament. I am the light. I am the truth. I am water that's been poured out. He is my light and my salvation. In Matthew 25, verse 1, it was the coming bridegroom. Isaiah 62, it says, For as young men marry a virgin, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. It was fulfilled and it's going to be fulfilled because God is going to have his bride for his son. That is yet to be fulfilled. Can you see what I'm, I'm trying to get at? Hosea 2, verse 16. And it shall be in that day, says the Lord, that you will call me my husband and no longer will you be my servant. Why? Because we'll be his bride. This scripture is going to be fulfilled in you and me and we will not suffer death. We will overconquer that one thing that's never been overconquered. Only by, I know, two or three people. John being my one. Elijah being the other who didn't suffer death. But that is yet to be fulfilled. That is yet to be fulfilled. And it will be fulfilled by you and me. We will not suffer death. Jesus said, I will be the first and the last. In the book of Revelation, Revelation 1.17, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And Isaiah 44, there will be no other God. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no other God. It's been fulfilled. The death of Jesus, we know that's been fulfilled. Oh, it's incredible. My brethren, this is Peter. Peter who denied Jesus three times. And then the power of the Holy Spirit comes on Peter. Men and brethren, this scripture has been fulfilled, which the Holy spoke about by out of the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus, for he was numbered with us and ob obtained a part of this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with wages of iniquity. Falling headlong, he burst open, and the middle of all of his entrails gushed out. And it became known to all these dwelling in Jerusalem that, that this field shall be called in their own language, that is, the field of blood. But this was written about in Psalms. Psalm 69, verse 25. Let this be dwelling place be laid desolate, and let no one live in it. Peter quotes this. Let no one live in it. And Psalm 109, it says, let another take his office. It's talking about Judas in the field. And I did this, I just had a look at this. There's a, a really, I'll come to him in a minute. Um, but just, I worked, I, I just went onto on the website and I came across this incredible um, guy, a mathematician. Absolutely incredible. And he worked out, Andy were like this, he worked out that just for eight of these prophecies, out of the 300, just for eight of them to come about. Do you know what the chances were for that? So there are eight prophecies, but in the quote of the New Testament, there are more than 130. And this guy called Peter Stoner wrote a book called Science Speaks. And he worked out and estimated that, that just to be one in 10 to the power of 17, for one of these miracles to come about, one, or even eight of these miracles, sorry, to come about, it's one chance in a billion. It's one chance. I mean, there were so many noughts. It's, it's 100,000 million, which is a billion. Is that right? 100,000? It's 100,000 million chances of just eight of these prophecies to happen. So he, he said, 
He said that to, it's, it's the equivalent of taking a dollar coin and laying a dollar coin um, two feet high across the whole state of Texas. And they, they, they bring out one coin and they say, we'll mark that coin, we'll put it back, and then we'll jumble all of these coins up and we'll send somebody out there blindfolded and he's got to walk as far as he wants and he can get and find that one coin. He says, that is what the chances of having eight of these prophecies coming to bear. Of that man finding that one coin, the size of Texas, being covered two feet high. Wow. Does that, does that bring how, how incredible the word of God is? How absolutely incredible. But to get, he worked out, I mean, we're talking 130 prophecies that were, were spoken about in the New Testament. From the Old Testament, 130. And he worked out this. For 48 prophecies, it's 1 in 10 to the power of 157. That is 1 followed by 140, 157 zeros. Just for, for how many? 48 prophecies. And it takes a mathematician. I'm not a mathematician, as you probably know. But that's incredible. I mean, how many, how many noughts is that? 157 noughts for just 48 of these prophecies to come. It's incredible. But you know what? These prophecies came from 800 years before Jesus to 1,000 years before Jesus, right the way through. And there's over 300, over 300. I, I couldn't, I could go through, I, it just staggered me when I looked at the Bible and thinking, oh wow, it's speaking about Jesus, speaking about Jesus. And I just looked at it and did the study on it. But God is great, isn't he? He can do the impossible. He can do the impossible. So my question is for you to go away and study the prophecies of his second coming. And have they been fulfilled? Well, no. But look at the prophecies written in the Old Testament about his second coming. <gasps> the prophecies about a bunch of people, a generation. That's what the Bible says. I'm not going to give it... I'm not going to do the hard work for you. You go and find it. Where it talks about in the Old Testament that God has a generation. He always has a remnant that will not suffer death. Because death has lost its sting. Yes, but it hasn't been conquered. There will be a body of people. I'm saying we are that generation. We are that body of people that when we put ourselves in the church of the Philadelphian, the brotherly love, that we belong to a church of brotherly love, that we will walk from this life into the next and not taste death. That's what the Bible says. Have a listen to Neville's talk from this last week. Have a listen to what he says. But folks, I'm going to preach Jesus. Because if they've got over 300 prophecies of his first coming then I'll guarantee you the other prophecies about his second coming are going to come about. And I want to be prepared. I want to be prepared. And if this revival is going to fall, which I believe it is, this revival will fall on us. What must we look like? Him. I'd, even if we have the darkest age, I don't care. I don't care. I don't want the lights. I don't want the cameras. I don't want any of that. I want to preach him. 
I want to teach you about him. So you're going to hear a lot of things that are going to stretch you about Jesus that you probably never heard of. I believe that's what the Lord is wanting me to do from that experience on Tuesday, is to preach Jesus. So I'm already doing the study. That's just, that is literally just the tip of the iceberg there. I couldn't, it was, oh Lord, which scriptures don't I include? But folks, so what's written about you? In the book. And the books. The books.